You're listening to Very Loose Women. Good evening, listeners. You are tuned in to Very Loose Women, live on Resonance 104.4 FM, London's very best radio station. Or perhaps you're listening on podcast. Hello to you all. My name is Flory and I'm joined in the studio by my ooh, my wobbly microphone and my wonderful co-hosts, Leo and Soy. Good evening. Hi. Hello. And in the studio with me this evening is guest producer Nadia. Hello. Hello. And guest Ruth. Hello, Ruth. Hi. And Mariam. Hello. <laughs> um, so... Today we are going to be talking about gaming um, and specifically the world of video gaming. We will be going on a whistle-stop tour um, from Gamergate to HBOM's fundraiser for trans rights charity Mermaids and anything else we can think of in between about gender and gaming. Uh, so, now let's introduce our wonderful guests. Nadia, who's helped produce this episode this evening, has been a gamer since they started playing PlayStation and Nintendo 64 from the age of six. That is a young start. They also have an MSc in Gender Policy and Inequality from LSE, and they're very interested in intersectionality and gaming. Ruth is co-host of the Inter Intersection of Things podcast, um, which is all about how tech is changing our lives. And Mariam is content creator of the intersection of video games and, re and real life politics. Uh, welcome to you all. Thanks. Uh, so, first of all, let's kick off with a question about the very basic question. Do you game? And if so, when did you start gaming? Who wants to go first? I nominate Soila. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I do think most of us around in the room are uh, are gamers. Um, I started, oh, I would say when I was quite young, but I don't know. I, I mean, it was just playing kind of educational video games and kind of you get on the education train and you stop at spelling how to spell station or whatever. And um, so there were kind of very early games and then progressed into Pokemon and uh, kind of the, the like Mario Kart on your Nintendo games console and then have gradually now um, play a lot for fun. I play lots of different kinds of games. So God games where you can control the kind of... God games. Yeah, God games where you're, the, you're God basically and you control all the little people in the village. Um, I play kind of more fantasy games where I'm, you know, flying about and, and things like that. Um, so yeah, there's a, a, a nice variation now that I do. I do spend a, a, a fair amount of my time um, playing. What about you, Marion? Well, I grew up in Eastern Europe and shooters were quite a big thing there, well, still are. So Counter-Strike, SWAT, uh, Quake, Doom, those were my, and I was like a little seven-year-old, just shooting everyone in the head and loving it. And although I wasn't very close with like my brother and dad, that was one of the ways we would bond, which mm. was really sort of lovely, I suppose, at the time. And I've always gamed and was a sort of a lone gamer in the sort of radical left in London. And then about two, two and a half years ago, I realized that gaming has now overtaken the film industry in terms of profits so it's a huge cultural space and yet we're not taking it politically seriously so that's when I started doing a bit more kind of I guess content creation around that um, yeah so shoot them all mostly that's, that's my <laughs> sort of advice and what about you Nadia? Yeah, very similar in terms of um, shooters and also playing with my brothers. Like, it was a huge part of bonding. Um, and um, uh, with Nintendo, I played a lot of 007 GoldenEye and um, Donkey Kong, Tekken. I remember being loads of my brother's friends on it and them getting really annoyed because I was like this little girl. Um, but yeah, really fun. And you, Ruth? 
I mean, I played a few games at friends' houses when I was a teenager, but actually I didn't play much games until I was at university because my parents didn't really want us to and they were against us having games consoles entirely. But then I went to uni and my housemates kind of had all the different consoles that were available at the time and pooled them together and so we sat in a big living room and I watched them play games and played things like Mario Kart or Fable or Dragon Age and they kind of got me hooked through the power of friendship. Uh, I am um, not a huge gamer until, and well, it's what I thought until the beginning of this show, uh, <laughs> just before when we prepared. Basically, I mean, I grew up, I was born in 88, so um, the first games I played were like Lemmings, um, Pac-Man. Yeah. What? I've never heard of Lemmings. Oh my God. This might be my age. My heart is breaking. <laughs> you get these little like uh, grassy head like beings falling off cliffs it's great um and then and they dig they dig little holes and okay. go through the holes and you um, control them no so you can it's complicated okay anyway don't explain it the educational ones i loved so like there was this nature one where you got to like find out more about robins and like find the nature reserve it was great and then there was one that i've mentioned on the show before where you chat to someone from ancient egypt and it was like black background with green text like super old school um and i could just ask it whatever i wanted like a lot of the time it would be like siri like i don't understand your question (laughs) (laughs) but sometimes it would be like oh today i was in the market buying amphorae (laughs) as you know um so but i say i don't game like all of these like running around shooting i find shooting very stressful i definitely it's high pressure like that is something that i flee on i have anxiety issues like it's just not something that i would willingly put myself through mm-hmm. but um at the same time i do play a lot of solitaire free cell wordaman as you all know yeah so <laughs> i find these very very soothing activities and they are actually gaming oh, you're like a I, gamer yeah, yeah i can yeah. play online <laughs> ones they rank me like there are a lot of gaming aspects to it and it's their game so I'm a gamer awesome so is gaming a safe space and or have we ever felt unwelcome in in the gaming community so I sorry I think there is like about 40 50 year history of well let's be honest misogyny in gaming right so as women we've definitely felt it whether that's harassment in the chat rooms whether um, you know there's disproportionate certain aesthetic in esports or in games themselves sexualization of characters uh, and whatnot Uh, I feel like definitely the trend is changing Mm -hmm. definitely since 2014 where um, obviously we'll talk about it probably um, there was a really huge shift and sort of recognition and final sort of understanding that um yeah that that uh women have not been welcome in in this in the sec in the sector so although i think more and more safe spaces are developing uh historically it's been pretty dark right mm, exactly and the irony as well because like women created code and women were the ones who populated um the computer related jobs um until it became lucrative as well so it's kind of it's definitely a space that, I mean, obviously that we belong in. Yeah, I think I have a bit of a confirmation bias here because any game that I hear about that isn't a safe space, you know, I think about League of Legends, for instance, or Call of Duty, you know, you hear so many stories about people feeling really harassed, Mm. then I make the choice to avoid those games. Mm. And I'll choose to go on games where I know those are kind of women-friendly spaces. Mm. And then I'll have a positive experience. But the thing is, I'm curating my positive experience through all the advice that I read on the internet about Mm. where to go. Mm. Or 
I'm choosing to play games that don't have any online aspect, that have female protagonists. So I can look at my set of games and go, these all look really diverse and inclusive, but I'm really, really seeking out those games. Mm-hmm. I definitely think there's a difference between games which are... Um, positive and treat women within the game with respect they're not overly sexualized you know they're just characters and they're playing a story um and the online community where other people will only know that you're a um, someone who's queer or you're a woman if you actually kind of make it clear in such a way um so things like microphones mm-hmm. or maybe um your kind of the the on-screen name mm-hmm. for example and i think where I have started to feel uncomfortable is when there's a realisation from men, I would say mainly, Mm -hmm. that I am not a a dude playing a game, I'm a woman playing a game. Exactly. And and when I've uh, experienced that as well, like um, we were chatting before about like um, obviously getting loads of horrible messages and like really over, like sexualized stuff and then right, abusive and but also like horrible pictures. And it's just not something that you, you know, expect. And and also I, I got to the point where I actually started pretending I was like a little 12 year old boy because I was just like they could recognize from my voice or just started using no microphone and, and so forth. I think that's a real shame, though, because then we're choosing to have a less good game experience and actually become less good gamers. Because in a lot of games, being on voice chat is about communicating with your team. And when you have really good teamwork, it helps you win. Mm. And if you feel like you can't do that, you don't win as often. If you don't win as often, then people think women aren't as good at games and you can't enter Mm. into competitions. So actually, the fear of doing that like the act of being silenced is having a lot of other effects mm. more broadly in the gaming community in professional games and all the rest of it but then again i think the tide is changing well definitely because of you know more diverse voices just criticizing it but it's also because the games companies the capitalists have also caught up to the idea that hey we're ignoring half of the population there is a lot of money there right mm. so diversity is going to be convenient for yeah. capitalism as yeah. well so we also need to unpick that side definitely. of things as well i think it's definitely since the nintendo wii console which was in you know, incredibly successful and that was, you know, the the big advertisement for it was the grandmother playing the video games, right? And that's when I think that was the kind of change in, in heart from the industry uh, was around that time. And yeah, I just went to kind of I think definitely things are changing, but it's also because there's just a lot of money in it, right? Exactly. It's like, thank goodness that equality is, like, lucrative. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's so unfortunate as well. Exactly. It's just, like, it's so unfortunate. But, like, now people care because they realise the research actually says that, like, treating people really well actually makes them profitable, which is such a shame that it takes that for people to care. But, you know, you're right that there are things are changing because of all these discussions. Although I would warn against, like, the idea of linear progression from A to B because yeah it's just it's not obviously that clear but yeah it's good that things are mixing up it's interesting because like we were um talking about um equality being lucrative obviously it wasn't always so and like perhaps Mm. this change was was um kind of like catalysted from Mm. the the aftermath of gamergate Mm. um do you want to just give a little bit of a history of that ruth all right i'll uh i'll do my best so essentially a few years ago um There was a guy who was angry at his ex-girlfriend, and that's essentially where this all began, with one abusive ex. He, his ex-girlfriend, Zoe Quinn, had created a computer game called Depression Quest, and this guy was mad at her for whatever reason, and he posted on a forum claiming that her computer game had had good reviews, 
because um, she was sleeping with journalists for reviews, right? Which has a lot of misogyny inherent in even that very beginning point and riled up a lot of people into this idea that women's success in gaming was due to sleeping around and that's how they were getting good reviews and that's how women's games were being successful and this began essentially a hate movement against women who made games who played games or were just present in them Mm -hmm. and actually became a huge amount of harassment there were rape threats death threats bomb threats against a lot of prominent women in computer games, especially um, someone called Brianna Wu and Mm. Anita Sarkeesian, who made a YouTube series about tropes in women video gaming, Mm. which is just essentially a good piece of popular culture criticism. Mm. And it just went on and on for a very long time that if you engaged in that hashtag, then there would be abuse coming at you. And it made gaming feel really unwelcome but it was very very organized and orchestrated Mm -hmm. so uh, again this is sort of underlines my fear that the left has not necessarily been in the space when all these big right-wing figures then uh, weaponize such controversies to you know for their own end Mm. Mm, that's a really nice segue into my next question which was going to be what is the link between gamergate and the alt-right i know that there's a kind of more there's a more specific and closer link between the people that were involved in gamergate and specifically uh you know a lot of online online chat rooms that are um like feeding a lot of alt-right, alt-right content on the internet could you just explain a bit about that so there is a hierarchy in a lot of these chat rooms, right? Mm. In, in Reddit, in 4chan, 8chan, uh, a few people that are sort of community organizers within those chats uh, have higher status, higher karma or whatnot, and, and they are, I guess, the community leaders. So there, there's, it's been very, very open. Milo has been very open about this, about the fact that he contacted these people and he was like, look, we're going to run articles day after day about Gamergate in Breibart, where he worked at the time. Uh, as long as you keep the pressure going, right? And so it was a very, very, and, you know, as we know, Milo has, you know, written articles like, what would you rather your child have, feminism or cancer, and stuff like that. So there's been a very, very direct link. So this was very, uh, yeah, I guess, uh, orchestrated in a very sort of, yeah, structural way. Um, And, yeah, people all over the world really jumped on this. It was kind of, it was the the point where, the journalists also and the content creators really had to pick a side, right? And um, many of the ones that were on the right, on the wrong side of it, I think, are mostly gone. Um, well, I, I, apart from I'm Miles, Ian Miles Strong, sadly. Yeah, and I would say there are two other kind of key elements to it, which is one, it was a testing ground for tactics. So a lot of this um, pre-planning of targeted hate against specific people happened on these forums and they would learn how to create memes together and, you know, get on a hashtag all at once. And that kind of planning was used a lot in order to get various fascist rulers around the world elected. And then I would say the other thing was encouraging a hatred of journalism. You know, that was an initial spark for it. And you teach people that journalists aren't to be trusted. Therefore, you know, research and, you know, intensive investigations can't be trusted anymore. And that kind of hatred of investigative reporting was really weaponized in a lot of election campaigns. Again, not just Trump a lot of the same kind of groups were used in France, in Brazil, in the Brexit vote, she says nervously. Um, (laughs) And yeah, Trump as well. No, it's true. Sometimes when I do a guest lecture and I go, this is going to be controversial, but I don't think Donald Trump would have been elected if it wasn't for Gamergate. And people go, what? But I do actually believe that. Yeah, I think so too. So interesting. Nadia, you had a question, didn't you? Yeah. um, So uh, it's, um, it's a question about what we think about the racial dynamics in gaming. So do we think the online community is becoming more diverse in terms of race? 
I think it, it depends on what aspect of the online community you're talking about. Mm. So if you're talking about the online the kind of community who will record themselves um, playing games and then put that out online, mm. and um, you look at the people who are kind of the the most watched people, mm. and the no the thing that I have noticed definitely is that all of these people just tend to usually be white men mm -hmm. um you know when you think of people who are making the most money off of putting their you know games and things on youtube it's white men usually um but you do get you do get the people who aren't who don't fit that mm -hmm. um in terms of gaming and representation for you know people who work at these software companies at the big games companies um it's very important to i think acknowledge that there is a lack of diversity across the board yeah. in all industries, mm -hmm. you know, whether it be in journalism, whether it be in games making. Well, particularly mm. creative ones. Yeah, mm. particularly yeah. creative ones. Ones that demand representation are actually, quite ironically, the ones where there's the least of it. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I mean, the more we talk about uh, the lack of representation, the more aware we become of it and therefore can put things in place where we, you know, encourage young girls to pursue kind of not just these kind of creative careers but stem careers and you should be computer developers and mm. things like that and so uh, i do think there is a you know not just in terms of race but in terms of gender mm. in terms of sexual orientation mm. or gender identity mm. you know all sorts of things we have that lack of representation but it does get better mm. and i think that's where we can look out for the people who represent those things that we see in ourselves mm. and then support them encourage them and encourage more people mm. so have we have we noticed the gaming industry developing new games that do include more diverse characters and stories um and do we see more queer and um racial and cultural diversity as well you said that that's changing but um are there any specific ways that you can see it changing at the moment I think um, I'm particularly excited about Assassin's Creed Odyssey that I have just finished and made me so happy. I wasn't someone who played any Assassin's Creed games before this because I always thought they looked like they were for bros. And then I saw Cassandra with her muscled arms and I thought, wow, I, I need to play this game. <laughs> and it's been really amazing. It has a lot more diversity and especially queerness. Like, as the main protagonist character, you can flirt with many amazing, beautiful women. You can flirt with Artemis and, you know, leader of this group of hunters and, and all sorts of, like, great heroes. And I just feel like it feels really fresh and beautiful and I feel like this game was made mm. for me. Mm. I think the other thing about that particular game series is that as soon as you log into play, it comes up with a notification, this game was made by people of different races, different gender identities, sexual identities, um, different religious backgrounds. And I think just that acknowledgement, it's a very small one, it's only on the screen for like five seconds, but you think, okay, there has been thought has been put into the creation of this and I appreciate that as a player. We've got I've just got one last very quick question before we wrap up. Um, could can gaming ever be used for progressive ends and can somebody tell me about the H bomb fundraiser? Ruth maybe? Okay. <laughs> I mean, I definitely think they can be used for progressive ends. I think that they can be used a lot for empathy, for playing as characters from different backgrounds, different experiences, getting you to think about challenges that you wouldn't have faced in your own life. And also, I think a lot just through storytelling, like mm. the narratives of often the games that I play, like, I think they're very challenging and interesting and make me think about the world in different ways. 
Um, so yes, and then you know it's a medium like books, like films, like television. So that doesn't mean that we've seen the end of what this can do. I think there's a lot more stories still to be told. So just mm. like any other medium, it can be used for progressive ends. Exactly. Can um, I add something about um, so like with the era of um, uh, VR coming into play and and like games really looking at different. For example, like Hellblade looks at mental distress and with psychosis and what those experiences are like. And I think those kind of insights and perspectives are increasing and creating more diverse experiential aspects of gaming which I think are really incredible and important um, could you just tell me about uh, Ed the H bot? Oh, sorry. Did you have one point, Mar- Mariam? Go for it. Just in terms of like games and so- yes. social change, I do also agree that I think it should be looked at the same way as any other cultural outlet. But I also really think that we should be looking at modes of production in terms of how the games are made. Right. So talking about unionization in the industry, mm-hmm. talking about the terrible plight that um, people in the global south are having to go through for mm-hmm. us to even have our gadgets. Yeah. And uh, for instance, something that we're going to be trying out with Clapton Community Football Club which is an anti-fascist fo- football club in East London. We're going to have an esports wing to it. Mm-hmm. So also, it's going to be the world's first anti-fascist esports team, which should be really, really fascinating wow. as well. So that's an, an interesting way also to think about politics and gaming. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of the H bomber, uh, yeah, so... Uh, Wait, so okay, so he just made the he raised what three hundred thousand mm-hmm. uh, pounds in, as he's a streamer. Uh, he played Donkey Kong, mm-hmm. and it was uh, and it was uh, money raised for mermaids, mm-hmm. which is a. Uh, is it, is it an NGO Trans- or is it an Trans- actual charity? It's a charity. It's a charity for uh, for children that are mm-hmm. transitioning or young people that are transitioning, basically. So what a, what a legend! And okay. I think you got a lot of hate, but actually, lots of love. Oh, I'm sorry, a no, lot of love. And <laughs> um, um, excellent. I'm I'm sorry, everyone. We've uh, we've come to the end of the show. Has anyone got anything they'd like to plug in very quickly just before I do the little end credits? Yeah. So POC. Um, POC Play, POC in Play, uh, they are a Twitter group, well, actually just an organization that are uh, looking at pe- representation of people of color in video games. Oh. So that's something that we talked about. Look at Game Workers Unite, uh, which is a unionization effort for video games industry workers. Mm-hmm. And yeah, look out for the CCEC, Clapton Community Esports Club, anti fascist esports coming Yay. to a place close awesome. to you. Cool. <laughs> That's really cool. I can't wait to read more about it. Um, If you want to hear more conversations about technology, you can check out my podcast, The Intersection of Things. You can find it at theintersectionofthings.com. Awesome. Left, left up on YouTube. (laughs) I was going to say, (laughs) do you have anything or... Um, um, no, no, I have a poetry page if you want to Yeah, go on. Nadia.ray underscore poetry. So it's got loads of intersectional poems on there. Awesome. Well, just even So it was left, left up for Marianne for your podcast, uh, uh, which is about it's, gaming. It's a video, uh, video uh, series. A video so, series. Yeah, mostly yeah. release them on Twitter, but I archive them on, on YouTube. So okay. yeah, excellent. Massive thank you to our wonderful guests and thank you guest producer Nadia for the excellent idea for this episode. You have been listening to Very Loose Women live on Resonance 104.4 FM. Our podcast is acast.com slash verylooswomen or on the Apple and Google podcast apps. Listen to our archive and don't forget to subscribe to never miss an episode. This episode was produced by me and Nadia and co-produced by Soylet and Leo. Audio engineering was also done by Leo. Well done, Leo. You can follow us at VLW Radio on Twitter and my VLW Radio on Instagram too on Facebook we are very loose women see you next week